And the rubber chicken says, Oh, really? Donald Trump believes he will be reinstated as president in August. And the rubber chicken believes if that happens, he will become a real chicken. Well, I look forward to that, but we haven't got time right now because now it is time for Lewis Black's Rantcast number 45 entitled, I'm Sick and Tired of Being Sick and Tired. It's unbelievable, endless nonsense, okay? You think this would stop? They're going to, they, 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 Mike Lindell, how do you put him on television the, the, and, and refer to as the My Pillow guy? That's the way he's referred to. What, what, how is that legitimate on any level? Okay? The My Pillow guy, who also, I think, the uh, Federal Trade Commission or Better Business Bureau was after him because apparently his pillow sucks. I do know people who like his pillow. But, but really, he's, he's the one who kind of he's been really saying, boy, that's the, the way it's going to be, that that's, it'll be, he'll, he'll be reinstated. Look, this nonsense has got to fucking stop. And if the Republicans, and I fucking mean it, and I'm sick of it, if they fucking just zip it about the legitimize, it's a legitimate election, okay? There are no cases of fraud. Stop making shit up, okay? We've got to stop somewhere. And it just has to stop there. You know, just say, okay, we're going to help you win. Go ahead, work with him, do whatever you want. But you can't be fucking just, you know, playing with the, uh, the goddamn fucking stupidity of believing that somehow he got fucked out of the election. Okay? Please put an end to it. It's it's it's, it's, it's God, how much... That's why I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired of being sick and tired. And it doesn't even... And it's not going to help because if I am sick and tired, it turns out that a number of uh, state legislatures are now uh, coming up with, besides their uh, voting madness, Pennsylvania's going to follow... I thought they were smarter than that. We're going to check out because we had no voter fraud. There were five cases. Five, I think. Look it up. God damn it. Who's sneaking into Pennsylvania to vote? All right? Have to drive that fucking Pennsylvania turnpike. Ever do that? Pain in the fucking ass. So, God damn it. So, it's, so now they're going to, the, the legislatures are getting, many of them, are getting ready. Some, of, I think, have done it. I, I can't keep up with the, the shit that's pouring out of the, a variety of states due to the fact that we're not, you know, we've, we, we've still got gerrymandering. Idiots. What fucking idiots we are. What other country allows the people you vote for to actually decide, you know, how you divide up a map? How, how do the people you vote for even be, be involved with voting at all? At fucking all. Okay. That too, that fucking, God damn it. it, it, it so it, so it, I'm getting to the point here because it's it fucking, there's so many cul-de-sacs you can go down and just yell and scream. The, the, uh, the legislatures are starting to go, well, you know, we can't leave uh, health up to the uh, health departments. Really? You're going to decide? The legislature is going to decide this? The legislature of a state, you're a legislator. You can barely do your own fucking job, okay? All you worry about is being elected again. Don't tell me you're going to make the decision. And, and how do you know who the next schmuck who takes your seat, if he's going to be as smart as you are, you know, since you believe that you're somewhat of a doctor? Huh? You Really, please, back 
the fuck out of there. You know, it's and now we got to go to court over this. How much fucking money? I would love. To, could anybody out there in Newsland figure out how much money we are spending? Okay, just to, to to figure out shit that we should already know that we knew, and now we got to relearn again. Then we got to go to court. We got to pay lawyers for. Holy fuck, not in a bag of shit. I am really tired of this. And Louis DeJoy, it turns out, the genius who became the postmaster general. It's not because he had a love of stamps. That that prick who basically tried to dismantle the post office where I worked, um, they hired me. One of the few places in my resume, which was a place where I got hired, and boy, oh boy, was that hell on wheels to work there. It's where I started fucking smoking because I was losing my mind. I can't even tell the story. Okay, well, I, you know, no, I won't. I, yeah, well, this guy, it's the first night I'm there, guy says to me, you know what a plate job is? I've been there three hours. It's, it's, we're moving toward lunch or whatever you do it. After three, you know, after you've been working for three hours, whatever lunch is, it's three thirty in the morning. I was working from like, you know, eleven thirty to eight thirty in the morning, and and he says to me, you know, what a pipe shop is, and I, I've been, I said, you know, no, and he said, well, that's when a woman, you know, sits over you with a with a piece of plate glass and sits over your face holding that piece of plate glass and takes a shit on it. That's what he told me. Apparently, that's a true story. I mean, that's what people do. And that blew my little mind. And I was kind of somewhat, uh, there was a certain amount of things that I was prepared for, but not that. And I, who had not inhaled a cigarette, went straight. I'd I'd smoked. I'd kind of pretend smoked. Well, that's what drove me to, to fucking force that smoke down my throat so I could get that image out of my fucking head. And, and Louis DeJoy, you know, and even though, the, and that experience is an experience that, that Louis DeJoy, I mean, you know, uh, his being the postmaster general is worse than me hearing that story. Because Louis DeJoy knew he, he was a big can, campaign contributor to, uh, to, uh, the, uh, to, the, to, to the man called, you know, who the, the former leader. And, uh, uh, and 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 like with both Democrats and Republicans, you give throw them some cash, and oh boy, we're gonna let you be the uh, poop poop to hog fuck. Oh man, really a hog fuck? Mm-hmm. Yes, Siri, and all of the folks there are really going to be excited. Well, you know, you you fucking you, they threw this job at him. He fucking practically dismantles the thing. Now they're finding out that um, he uh, the way in which he was raising money. For, for 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 the former leader, was he was uh, he was uh, and we'll see the case is coming up. Uh, he's being accused of this that uh, he had a company and uh, he gave money and you can only give so much money, you know. Uh, and uh, so he basically got his employees to give money to uh, to the former leader and other Republicans, I gather, and uh, and he would in turn, put bonus money in the checks to cover that payment. I mean, come on, people. Please. And and then I'm not supposed to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I'm not even going to be able to find a 
decent doctor because I'll have to go see a state legislator. And he won't even put on a glove when he gives me a, you know, a, a, you know, a proctology exam. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, boy, I'm really nailing it now, huh? This is when I really, really desperately miss an audience because uh, I have no, I, there's no one to kind of stop me. There's no one out there to kind of go, you know, uh, where I can hear the silence and hear it get uh the silence get weirder and weirder is that you can get that sense as the tension goes and they're going, what's happened to him? Has he lost his mind? Has he really lost? Is this the moment? Is this the moment that he crosses the line? Is this the moment that we finally have lost him? Should we throw him a lifeline? Let's giggle. <laughs> well, um, so that's why I'm here like this and wearing a summery little kind of a shirt because it's, uh, you know, we're here at the beginning of June. It's Of course, it's gone up to like 90 fuck a gazillion degrees because that's all it does here in New York now. It either rains and it's in the seventies or apparently it's in the nineties. So, uh, quite delightful. We're waiting to see, we're having a vote for the, uh, the mayor of the city. We desperately need to have a great mayor. We have 36 people running and then you get to vote for this new concept that they came up with. You vote for, uh, you have a choice. You can, you can pick five. You pick your first choice, your second choice. This is not a goddamn draft. The fuck is the matter with them? And we're doing it as a paper ballot. So now, and it's going to take forever to do this. So um, we, the state of New York, has to, you know, in part, uh, the city of New York, too, has to zip it when it comes to criticism of of what's going on in, in, in terms of the way... Uh, these, uh, not that it's n- not wrong what's going on in terms of this kind of voter bullshit nonsense laws that are out there, and what they're doing in Texas, and we've been through this. I've been through it because I'm sick and tired of it. And so, uh, but we here have no leg to stand on to be yelling about that stuff because we here have a, have a goddamn ancient fucking, uh, our process is awful, um, and it, Part of it has to do with this that I hear over and over, you know, keeping keeping those in power in power. Always a good idea. And that's really what, you know, we're doing it. They're doing it. Everybody's doing it, uh, you know. So uh, we get to vote for five people. We got to fucking figure it out. I, I watched them debate the other night. I had no idea. Because we're going to do this and then we're going to, because we got real problems here. And, um, you know, I think the hope is, is when tourists comes back, those those problems will be solved because many of my guests will be bringing a lot of, uh, you know, guns and artillery in and we'll, they'll be able to really take care of us <laughs> or take us out. Oh, please, Lewis. No, don't, don't say that. The final thing we're returning to normal. They keep saying we're returning to normal. We're returning to normal. We're returning to normal. We were never normal. How can we be returning to something that we never were? Oh, it's the new normal. No, there was never an old normal. Most of us are still kind of stuck in there's a, like a, the quicksand of the pandemic, okay? It's still got a, a number of us. It certainly got me. Something will happen every day, and I'll go, God damn it. My brain is in the quicksand of the pandemic. My fucking neuroses flares up like nobody's business. It's like a fire, and I can't seem to put it out. And it has to do with... Um, you know, being in lockdown and being spending all of that time worried about, you know, taking care of yourself, taking care of yourself, taking care of yourself. And it 
and and being uh, and and worrying about things and worrying about other people and um and it really kind of had a a big splash over into everything else and I if I was a well it says you know if I was a psychiatrist I could kind of explain this all but boy I tell you um I talk to my friends they seem to be doing really well and then all of a sudden I'll hear a little glitch in what their, their thought processes are it makes me feel better sadly I know that you know I had uh here's the kind of no I won't go no well here I, so I get a reservation today for us to eat dinner at some place and then I, you but you don't know if you're going to get that reservation so I called another place in case I couldn't get this reservation because I wanted to see my friends and then the first place I called, which hadn't responded, called back later. And I was like, then I was like, well, what should I do? Uh, what do I do? You know, I feel, and I immediately kind of feeling like I should have done something more. I've, I've never said in, since I was like a, a kid, I'm sorry more than I have since this pandemic started. I'm, 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 and it's just beginning to fade away a little. Um, and if I'm not saying it, I'm thinking it. I'm like, oh boy, I'm really sorry I couldn't have made this reservation, and I missed the call because I was sitting here working on my rant cast and and trying to figure out what that you know what what I'd call it. And then I realized I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. It nailed it perfectly. I got a few things to read to you to see you'll feel better about whatever it is that you feel badly about. The UK finance firm estimated that the nation's hospitality sector can recoup its pandemic losses if every citizen of legal drinking age performs the basic duty of every British adult and consumes 124 pints of beer this summer. Uh, I'm sure my pal Kathleen and my friend Ray could really together, and a few others, Jody, and a few others that I know could really could make that happen. But you need everybody. And you just, just not the, the the few who really are patriotic, like my my friends, who who love their beer. Some Republicans, it turns out, are blaming President Biden for Chick Fil A's new limit of one dipping sauce packet uh, 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 per item. Are you, so yeah, yeah. How much time do you have on your hands? That you're. You're down there, you know, at Chick-fil-A for starters, going, I can't believe it. Whose fault is this? God damn it, that prick. Look, him president, I don't only get one one packet. What the fuck? Come on. Grow the fuck up. Huh? Bring your kid in and have them sneak a couple of packets. The fast food chain blamed the sauce drought on temporary industry-wide shortages, which we're experiencing everywhere about everything. And then they're blaming it on the presidents. We always do. Whoever the president is, whatever the shortage is, it's blamed. And it's, in most cases, it's bullshit. It's a real shortage. Unless, of course, it's a cyber attack. Those are really great. That's something new coming down the pike. That's another fucking thing we can worry about. God Damn it. Just get a whole group of kids when college, get them in there now. Get them extra credit. Build a fire fucking wall, and then let's give it a shot at going after them. Come on. Best and the brightest fucking A. I'm sure that our our generation of, of, of technocrats 
young technocrats, 10 and 11 years old, can figure this the fuck out. Come on. Um, Representative Lauren Bobbitt reacted by asking, in, I'm sorry, I went off, the, went off script, but responded to this in, industry-wide shortages. Is there no limit, this is Bobbitt, is no limit to how awful Biden's America can get? While Ted Cruz cited the one-packet limit as proof that Joe Biden is destroying America. Is there any way, how is there no psychiatrist that is assigned to these people? How do they escape psychiatric care? That the ruination of America is one sauce packet? (laughs) Chick-fil-A, are you shitting me? What is the matter? That's destroying America, as opposed to the, uh, you know, the, the the stuff that would come out of the the former of, of you know of president's mouth. I mean, and the only reason what's going on now is even tolerable is because of what happened before, and it just irritates the shit out of me. And I've said it before; I will continue to repeat it that that the, one of the things that uh, I was deprived by having the the, uh, the former leaders is that I can't go after this guy because he, because of stuff like this. But I, they took my packet. I had an extra packet of sauce. Unbelievable. And finally, uh, in the things, things could be worse. An Indian bride dumped her arranged marriage groom at the altar when she challenged him to recite the multiplication table for two, and he failed. The groom's family had kept us in the dark about his education, fumed the woman's cousin. I wish we could do that for people running for office, don't you think? Wouldn't that be good? And now, one last moment of news from my good folks here uh, who provide me with this, the the folks at The Week, a, a, a great great uh, compilation that, that of information that comes out uh, weekly. That's why they call it the week. <laughs> um, and they give both sides. They give, uh, you know, every side, you know, conservative and um, liberal. And nutty and fruity. Former NFL assistant coach Eugene Chung says a team official told him during a job interview that he was not really a minority. Chuck, <laughs> who's of Korean descent, says he replied that the last time he looked in the mirror, I was a minority. But the official told him he was, this is, here's where we have no center. Here's why this idea of we're moving to normal. We never were normal, and it's going to take a while to even get to normal. Because what he said was, uh, he told him that he was not the right minority. You can hear the applause. You can hear the applause of, of millions of uh, millions in, in grave sites all over the world. Every every idiot who ever had tr- trouble trying to understand a, a, a moment in time and just missed the point. The NFL called the incident completely inappropriate. 
You know it's got to be completely inappropriate if a league that could, couldn't didn't know that people were having concussions from hitting each other in the head. Um, you know, if they think it's inappropriate, it is inappropriate. Well, it's been a, appropriately, this is the time I've got to go. And once again, please, um, you want to get something off your chest, send it in. We are the only, the only show in America, in which the audience writes the show. No one else does it. And I'm thrilled to be a part of it. And you make it happen. So keep it coming, because uh, your words inspire me. Oh, no, he's back, I can hear you saying. Well, yes, I am, because I forgot to tell you something very important. On July 26, I will be doing my first performance at 8.15 at the Chautauqua Amphitheater a beautiful outdoor space um, on the grounds of Chautauqua, which is literally right on Lake Chautauqua in Chautauqua, New York. Of all things, it's all Chautauqua all the time, and I will be there. And uh, I really uh, hope you can join us, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. But just to see where I'm at at this point, and if it's just a skill that I've completely lost, and I'll just have to go on to working on my sourdough starter, which never really started. Um, so you can go to my website, lewisblack.com, uh, to find tickets if you're interested. It's uh, located, by the way, Chautauqua, just down the road from one of my favorite towns, Jamestown, New York. And it is because there is located the National Comedy Center. Uh, a fantastic space, which I've talked about time and again. And uh, so if you get to come on up there, you'll be able to visit the uh, that extraordinary center with the uh, works of George Carlin. And uh, uh, you can go into a room completely devoted to him. Tommy Smothers and Dick Smothers have left their material. It's, in, it's, it's truly uh, an interactive space that you will marvel at. And if you don't like it, you know what? I'll, 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 I'll give you your money back. I've said that to numerous people, and no one has ever asked for their money back. It's a, it's a no-brainer. It's a winner and well worth your time. Um, and finally, you know, and also really, the, uh, uh, for those of you who have not yet uh, taken advantage of the, my fan club, the Fuck You membership that you might want to become a part of, because if you're going to come see my shows, it's the best way to get the best tickets at the best price. The, you know, to escape the kind of upcharging that goes on. It is the one way that we've been able to beat it. And uh, so if you go to my website, it'll explain all of the perks. There are 130 hours. It says 95, but it's actually 130 hours of comic gold. Um, this is my own review. I've given it my own review. Uh, and uh, there'll be a lot of other things that are coming along that you'll find with the fan club. And uh, there's some new things that I think uh, you, I'm, well, I'm very excited about, and I, I hope you are. Um, finally, there's a, a big announcement coming uh, at the end of this week and the beginning of next week. And, uh, and keep your, uh, you know, and, and, and get ready for that one. Uh, because uh, it's time to go back on the road, folks. I hope to see you. Looking forward to it. Okay. Janet Gillis wanted to share this with us. 
I'm sick of going to the checkout at the grocery store and being asked, did you find everything? If I say no, they're not equipped to help. So they just smile. So why ask in the first place? I am at odds with this because these workers think it's their job to converse with me. And I just want to get the hell out of there as fast as possible with a little money left in my account. I live in Tampa and frequent a popular grocery chain whose slogan is where shopping is a pleasure. Well, I beg to differ. Several weeks ago, I was at the checkout counter and the bagger decided it was not only his job to bag my groceries, but to make a comment about each item I bought. Ooh, this is my favorite cheese. Ooh, I don't like this brand. And on and on and on and on. As I stood there, I was grateful there were no feminine products in there because God knows what he would have said about those. He had a little story for each item. And then we got to the frozen pizza. He expounded on this for some time, telling me how he makes his own pizza, etc., etc. Just pack up my shit and let me out of here, I thought. He then told me that if I wanted this pizza to taste the best, I should bake it on a pizza stone. As I was just about to lose the will to live, I ran out of products, and this torturous checkout finally ended. Declining the bagger's offer to continue the torture by taking my groceries to my car, I started to walk away, and the gentleman who had been patiently standing behind me called out, Miss, you dropped this piece of paper. He was holding a note in his hand. I said, no, it, it wasn't mine. He insisted and said, I saw it fall out of your purse. He was quite good looking. Seemed like a reasonable person, so I accepted the note. When I got outside, I was kind of excited. Was this a love note? I've heard that love often blossoms in grocery stores. I opened the note, and it said, don't ever cook a frozen pizza on a baking stone. It will crack. What the fuck? It's a sad little ending there. It's fucked over by the bad, bad guy. And, but at least some good advice from the, the, the good-looking man who also kind of left you hanging there. You know, better luck at the grocery store next time. Don't they have one of those things where you kind of check out on your own? <laughs> then you don't have to deal with this bullshit. Thank you, Janet. Jean-Paul Petit is just getting started. In this country, I am a black man. I was born in Brooklyn, New York, but raised in Trinidad and Tobago, where my complexion wasn't much of an issue. But neither yours, for that matter. Growing up in the Caribbean, I was mostly colorblind. But I now reside in Maryland, your hometown. And I have been given a crash course in racism and the ignorance of some white people towards race. My gosh, America's history is even worse than that of the Romans, Moors, the Moops, the British, and the Egyptians. This country was inhabited by indigenous people for probably centuries when the white man came and pushed the locals off their land without the bat of an eye. Then they went to Africa and got themselves some new inhabitants in the form of slaves. In Europe, some slaves had a chance to earn their freedom. 
but not here in America. Native Americans were slaughtered and had their land taken away. And now we wonder why they live in such squalor? Texas, Arizona, California, and all that land was stolen, not purchased, from Mexico. And now we wonder why their lives are less than and tell them to go away. You can't live here. In Hawaii, the queen was detained in her own house and called crazy while her islands were taken away. Remember the Alamo? You were in Mexico fighting the Mexican police, trying to get you off their land. Wow. (laughs) And still today, the slaughter continues, and dare I say it, Republicans pretend as if all of this is okay. Oh, speaking of okay, we are now commemorating 100 years since the Greenwood Massacre, a government-sanctioned slaughter and pillaging of a thriving black community in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yet on January 6th, thousands of all-fuck-it racist rednecks marched on the Capitol demanding to take their country back. From whom? Those are the same people who bore tiki torches, the Confederate flags, marched in Charlottesville chanting, Jews will not replace us. You stole it. You put a knee to George Floyd's neck and killed him in the street as if it were all right. You changed the voting laws in broad daylight as if no one can see. The Virginia state flag has a man standing with his foot atop another laying on the ground. Many states still have union jacks on their flags or flying over the state and government buildings. It's 2021. America, you, not you, Lewis, and not everyone, are racist. Don't pretend that the request for restitution is such a shocking or bad thing when for decades all you've done is kept one race down while promoting your own. Juneteenth is coming up. Ooh, what's that? It's a part of your bloodshed history. Learn it. Take a look in the mirror. No one is looking for a handout. They've had their hands in the air for so long, people want what was theirs. Land money, and dignity. Richard Pryor once joked, why do black people always grab their dicks? Because you done took everything else. Well, it's time to stop. Thanks for letting me take a breath. Trust me, this wasn't even a rant, because there's so much more. I'm sure there is, John Paul. I'm sure there is. Uh, and I look forward to hearing from you. I guess you had to stop or you, you know, you might burn through a few thousand pages. It could be a, a whole book, I would imagine. And you probably had to get to work. And I deeply appreciate that. And especially sharing it after the, this, uh, this 100th anniversary of what happened in Tulsa, which is still I find staggering. Every time I see the date, 1921, I go, no, it couldn't. It couldn't be. 19- yeah, it is, Lewis. Thank you, John Paul Petit. William Holderson has a story to tell entitled, My Mother Made Me Do It. Once, a long time ago, I was given an adorable eight-week-old golden cocker spaniel puppy. At that time, I lived alone in a teeny tiny house with a teeny tiny living room a teeny tiny kitchen and a teeny tiny bedroom. 
because I was a graduate student living on a teeny tiny budget. My childhood had been blessed with two wonderful Cocker Spaniels, and now I have another as a warm, soft, furry companion. I noticed right away that this dog was a bit skittish. If I talked to her, she took a piss or ran into a corner and shit. I talked more gently. Same result. I figured training takes time and love and patience. I put out newspapers, hoping she would soon learn what they were there for, and went off to my classes and research assignments. Each time I returned home, I was amazed at the quantity and frequency of doggy indiscretions. Yes, she did her business on the newspapers, covering the important events of the day with brown commentaries of her own. And when she finished editorializing on the newsprint, she continued her dutiful discharge, overwhelming the limited real estate available in the tiny rooms of my home. I bought extra papers and covered most of the open floor space. She proved up to the challenge. Puddles and piles, the yield per square foot was astounding, and she demonstrated the capacity to invade new territory beyond the boundaries of the newspaper. I cajoled and corrected and loved and encouraged. I bought scoopers and mops. Every night, a suspicious tide of yellow water rolled in to cover my kitchen floor, waves lapping against the baseboards. Each morning, a freshly dropped pattern of landmines surrounded my bed. I scooped and mopped. I sanitized and deodorized. This loving and cuddly beast only improved how fast and efficiently she could cover my floors with doggy residue. The vet said she was perfectly healthy, but I began to use scientific observations. Something did not add up. I measured. The magnitude of the output greatly exceeded that of the input. Now I know because I provided the input and cleaned the output. A cornucopia of inexplicable excess poured out of my beautiful spaniel. There was only one thing a mature 20-something hound man could do. I called mom. Mom, you know that cute little spaniel I've had for a few months? Yeah, mom. She looks exactly like that first spaniel you got me when I was a little boy. Wasn't he a wonderful dog? Well, guess what? My mean old landlord won't have dogs in the house. Well, he won't if mom buys this story. <laughs> so, so maybe I'd better find a good home for her. So I was wondering if, thankfully, mom came to my rescue. And she said she would take the dog. The story I told mom was less than honest, but I gave into the dark side out of desperation. Equally true, I did not divulge complete and accurate information. But I think that law only applies to selling a house or maybe a horse, just to spend that year in college. I delivered the dog to mom and sped off to an urgent appointment before the dog could reveal her unique talents. I did not call or visit for a few months. When I did visit, the icy stare and silent treatment that I got from my mom was enough to tell me that all had gone as I had feared. When we were finally alone, she looked at me, and using her mother's, best mother's guilt trip tone of voice, she slowly, very slowly said, How? 
could you? Later on, noticing that the offending Spaniel was not present, I asked my dad, what happened to her? He said, oh, God, that dog pissed and shit twice a minute. Fortunately, your mom remembered that Mary around the corner wanted a dog for a companion. Mary was a spinster teacher who would invite the neighborhood ladies over on weekends for coffee and homemade pastries. Mom entered the room just as Dad finished with, yep, your mom took that dog right over and gave her to Mary. Ha! So here I was, an apple that clearly hadn't fallen too far from the tree. Looking the tree in the eye, I spoke as sanctimoniously as I could. Mom, how could you? Oh, the Spaniel lived a long and presumably happy life with the spinster teacher Mary, which we learned from reports by other neighbors. For some reason, Mary never again invited my mother over for coffee and homemade pastries. That's uh, a lovely little tale, William. Thank you. I love Cocker Spaniels. I had a Cocker Terrier mix named John John. Just a splendid dog. I wish I could find another like him. This tale of isolation comes to us from Jay Yannick. I'm a merchant mariner and work for a small government agency run by the U.S. Navy, whose initials are more shit coming. We are not well known, but employs about 5,000 fellow seafarers, dating back to World War II with a long tradition of getting the job done, despite what obstacles may be in our way. I've only been employed here for eight years, as opposed to others who have done about 40 years working here. But I want to rant on all of our behalves because half the people I work with don't know how to even get access to their ship's email. We all know there are sacrifices to be made when working in a job like this away from home and overseas in Asia, the Middle East, and Europe. It's all well and good and used to be one of the many perks, but this pandemic and how the higher-ups have handled it and treated us is fucking insane. When the news first broke, the initial reaction from headquarters was keep those fuckers at sea as long as possible until we have a plan. The admirals and local commanders finally gave us something after a few weeks. You can touch land, but you can't leave the ship. What about to get needed personal supplies in small groups, we asked. They had the audacity to tell us that we like to go to the local military exchanges and raid them leaving those that live in a few select locations not many options. This came from somebody who has the ability to go home every night and sleep in their bed, visit their families, and berate us for wanting a bag of Cheetos after being at sea for weeks. They finally figured out that we could have contactless delivery from local personnel who will be there to assist us. This is a long-standing tradition of seafarers and sailors. We like to have a drink, but alas, there is no drinking on the ship while at sea, so we have, in the past, had beer on the pier. Yes, we walk down the plank of the ship and have a few drinks, then march back up and work the next day. Now, if you've ever seen a pier, they are pretty fucking isolated, in our cases, even more so. Nobody is probably within one to two miles of us, except maybe a gate guard who is also questioning his life's choices. The average age of people in more shit coming is about 52. 
with most military veterans or lifelong merchant mariners who've seen their fair amount of shit. So to get beer on the pier in this totally isolated environment after being at sea for at least two weeks with no other human interaction, our captains had to basically beg for us to get this one small amount of normalcy. Although not all captains would allow this, but we can save individual dickheads for another time. This request for beer on the pier was mostly overseas, as it's my understanding from my friend stateside that they didn't even get this. They were kept on the ship entirely, not allowing them to go home. Now, you might think, great, keep everybody safe so we can continue to do the job and support the Navy. But the U.S. Navy sailors were being let off the ships and were going home. Yes, we have a few ships that are mixed crews of military and civilian. So while us civilians were locked down and couldn't leave, our military counterparts were jaunting down the pier on their way home, only to return the next day with mask coverings, their face, their smiling faces, their smiling faces. Like I've said, we are used to a certain level of abuse from our higher ups that would make most people quit on the spot, as you were only required to do a four-month tour on a ship. Then go home and take a break. That's been reduced from 60 to 90 days in recent years, down to 30 days, with them calling you after two weeks. When are you coming back? But as you guessed it, they had no plan for this shit either after months with getting new people to ships and people off overdue off. People on the average are four months overdue, with the longest now at about six months. Being a civilian, uh, we are supposed to have certain rights, or at least we think we are. Thus, we have a union that is supposed to fight on our behalf. <laughs> a union? Man, the normal compensation for restriction is your overtime rate for every hour of not being allowed off the ship for whatever reason. Headquarters pushed back on this, telling us we were a bunch of whiners, and that we need to realize it's a pandemic, and they're keeping us safe by keeping us safe on the ships. These emails were sometimes written in an apologetic tone, but reminding us that they didn't respond right away as they were fucking cooking for their families that night. After about nine months into this, our union finally managed to get headquarters to give us $100 a day for each day we could not leave the ship, but only under special circumstances, of course. My ship is currently in Singapore, but half of my crew had a six-week quarantine before we could rejoin the rest of society. So things are not that bad for me now, relatively speaking. Still, there are those others out there in the Middle East, mostly, who are being kept out to sea as much as possible, with maybe four days pier side with no beer on the pier, even for four to six months. This has probably been too long of a rant for, for fuck's sake. Somebody at the top in this organization needs to get their shit together in a hurry and act like they give a fuck about us after doing this shit for a year and stop fighting us when it comes to just wanting to be treated like adults. All the best, but without mercy for those that deserve it. Jay. Thank you, Jay. And uh, I, I, this is still going on. I guess in terms of these other, I guess you can't get off the boat because they're, 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 you're at piers where the, there's, uh, there, there's, there haven't been vaccinations in the, in the countries that you're sitting at. Um, <clears throat> let me know. Uh, just send a note so I can uh, 
tell the folks, or at least <laughs> for my own edification, but, you know, we'd, we'd see these things about, you know, the, the boats where they, you know, sitting there in the dock, you know, but naval warships were, well, no, there's nobody was on, nobody's got COVID on the ship. And then it was spreading like wildfire, but this is, wow. You don't even think of that, this side of it where, uh, this is, this is crazy, man. Good luck out there if you're still out there. A rant from an avid fan. Zoom meetings. God, we all hate them for reasons that are, by now, trite and weary. The forced, intense eye contact. The omnipresent, nagging thumbnail of ourselves, whispering in our ear about how terrible we actually look. The awkward, jerky conversation caused by audio lag. The wasted time caused by participants who still won't practice how to screen share before they have to present, or worse, haven't figured out how to screen share after 15 months. All of those irritations pale next to my deepest peeve. Virtual meetings that don't start on time. How are you late to your own goddamn dumb fuck Zoom meeting that you yourself scheduled? Did you get distracted on the commute from the refrigerator to the laptop in your home office? Hmm? Did that shit take longer to produce than the time you allotted for a bathroom break? Is this meeting interfering with your internet surfing? Or, as all of us have known in our hearts all along, our bosses have zero time management skills and have a supreme disregard for the value of anyone else's time. Lewis? There are no possible excuses, not anymore. In the bad old days, traffic and clients and long lines at the local coffee shop and God knows what else could be blamed for tardiness. But we are all right there at our laptops already. The meeting before is running over. Click the end meeting button and start the next one. Better yet, building a break between these pointless meetings. Honestly, how hard is this to figure out? Stepping off my soapbox now, avid fan. Well, thank you, avid fan. I felt those Zoom meetings, if there was more than three or four or five, it's like when you get six, eight heads there, it's like, I always called it Hollywood Squares. Without Paul Lynn, you have to look that one up, some of you. Center Square. What I always find amazing is when I would do the Rancast on the road, uh, and even as I've been doing it now, but on the that I would receive um, rants that almost seem to be written in as if somebody called somebody and said, "I'm writing a rant about." Well, I'm going to write a rant about that too, uh, or a story, or a criticism, and this oddly enough is. Uh, the second story I got this week about a dog. Two dog stories in a week. Both very different. This one comes to us from Laverne Otis. And it's entitled, She Knew. I wonder if it's, uh, I'm, well, I'll read it. It's just that both are titled. It makes me wonder if the same person wrote both. And it's coming up with a book of dog stories. I knew she wasn't an ordinary dog the moment I saw her. She had presence, a dignity, and a calmness 
which no other dog I have ever seen possessed. Our eyes met in a kind of surreal moment, and those gentle eyes seemed to be pleading. Why am I here? Which amazingly was exactly what I was thinking. The card on her stage stated, Becca, two years old, owner surrendered. And my faith in the goodness of human nature diminished. I grabbed the first attendant I saw and asked to see Becca. A German short-haired pointer mix, the color of honey. Becca's eyes never left me. She was being leashed. We were led to a visiting area where Becca and I could spend some time together. To say it was love at first sight is an understatement. And I didn't need to know anything else. I didn't need more time. She was mine. Becca eased right into the routine of my home as if she'd lived with me forever. She lay next to me while I watched television. She helped me in my garden chores, went with me almost everywhere I went, tried to eat from my dinner plate, and slept with me every night. I had a close companion to help fill the lonely hours of living alone. I tended to Becca's needs as if she were a queen. About a year after Becca came to live with me, a very noticeable change came over her. She'd always been a close companion, but now she stuck closer to me than ever. Whenever she could, Becca would lick my abdomen. There seemed to be a sense of urgency in her eyes every time she looked at me, and she began looking at me constantly. It felt like she was trying to tell me something, but of course I, I didn't know what it was. I made an appointment with the vet and took Becca in for a complete examination. All tests came back clear. The vet told me I have nothing to worry about and to stop imagining things. So Becca and I carried on with our lives with some unanswered questions about her new attentiveness and sense of urgency. Until my next physical examination, that is when the doctors discovered that I had colon cancer. I had surgery, and since the cancer was in its early stages, the surgeons were able to get all of the cancer out. I did not need chemotherapy. When I returned home from the hospital, Becca was as ecstatic to see me as I was to see her. And my old Becca was back. There was no more licking of my abdomen. The look of concern that had been in her eyes for weeks was gone. And she stopped clinging to me. And then it dawned on me that Becca must have known about my cancer all along. I couldn't believe it. How could she have known? But there was no other explanation for her behavior. Now I trust Becca with all of my heart. And I just know that she will let me know if anything else goes wrong. Wow. That's a lovely story. It's almost too lovely for my rant cast. I mean, let's start a whole other series called Nice Stories from Nice People about nice animals and nice moments in time. That's, that's a wonderful story. I've, I felt that way about my dog, John John. Um, that uh, there was always a sense that that dog knew what was going on. There was the smartest dog I ever dealt with. Thank you, Laverne. Thank you. Scott Baker has sent in a rant about uh, the two companies that uh, we rely on for shipping. <laughs> You've heard me yell about them. So let it rip, Scott. In one of your recent episodes, you ranted about FedEx and your terrible experiences with them. I have to tell you, hearing that triggered some sort of PTSD-like reaction, and my blood began to boil. My company is quite familiar with both FedEx and UPS. As a wholesaler, 
We ship thousands of boxes a day to mom and pop retail stores across the country so that they can keep their shelves full. Because of that, our business depends on these two major carriers to do the job that we pay them for, transporting packages to every corner of the country. Yet, on a weekly basis, both of them prove that they are so incompetent, it's a miracle anything ever fucking gets delivered. The two of them are so opposite in their incompetence, we have a running joke that together they would make one solid company. You see, UPS is centrally managed with a corporate structure so complex, it's like navigating a corn maze at night. If you ever have a problem, you just email or call your account rep, and then they'll call someone else, and then they'll they'll email a third person, and that third person will call 12 others, and three months later, you're still screwed. There's no need for alcohol to get all dizzy and discombobulated. Just try to understand how the fuck UPS ever makes a decision, and you'll feel drunker than a college student at a frat party. I'm pretty sure our account rep needs to get six manager's signatures just to take a piss. FedEx, on the other hand, is a simpler corporate structure, but their drivers are independent contractors who own their routes. Therefore, if you've done everything right, packed the boxes, labeled them, staged them for pickup, and then your driver just decides not to show up, there is literally nothing FedEx can do about it. You call them and they say, oh, we'll get right on it. But so long as their contractor doesn't feel like taking the time to, I don't know, you know, do their fucking jobs. You're sitting on the sidewalk two hours after closing time, just praying that dumb white truck turns the corner so you can go home and get some sleep, so you can spend the next day fighting with them again. UPS's drivers are generally fantastic, but their corporate side is crap. FedEx's account reps are generally extremely helpful, but their drivers are useless. Between the two of them, you have one competent company. They have been like this as long as I can remember, but that's just during normal times. Add a pandemic, double shipping volume, and a shortage of workers, and everyone's heads simply explode. To the point that last month, our FedEx account rep contacted us to let us know that FedEx would no longer be accepting any new packages, inbound or outbound, to the local hub that controls the FedEx logistics in the region because they were just too busy. That's right. When FedEx began dealing with the same issues that every small business was dealing with, they simply said, fuck it, and quit, leaving us us and all of our counterparts across the region shitting ourselves. If we told our customers that we were just going to stop filling their orders because we were busy, we'd be out of business in a week. Well, that didn't stop UPS from taking advantage of this news and sending us some snarky corporate email mentioning how great they were and that they were still operating in full and asking if we thought that they were great too. Huh? The number of nasty replies that popped into my head was so large I literally froze. Talk about decision paralysis. I thought there were only so many ways I could be an asshole, but apparently I was wrong. The bottom line is this. They are the only two common carriers in this country, and so they can do whatever they want with no repercussions. 
I despise Amazon as much as the next person, but perhaps the one good thing they could do is start their own national shipping carrier to compete with the others. At least then we'd be able to grab some popcorn and watch some UPS executives ask for permission to shit their pants. All the best, Scott Baker. Well put, Scott. It's really interesting. Two two companies that would be perfect if they were combined and made one company. And when you're turning to Amazon for help, and I know we're coming out of this pandemic and it, every day it's, oh, and this is really going to be great. But boy, oh boy, this whole, this whole thing about we're getting back to normal, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be, a, I think, a longer trip than people know. No, we'll see. But I, I think it's I just I think it's a long haul. I hope things have improved out there, Scott. Wouldn't want you to get an ulcer over this. Thanks for sharing. And thanks for caring. Oh, I rhymed. Jeremy Jackson has sent us a rant about well, what else? <laughs> Virtual schooling. Hello, Lewis. This rant is not really a response but a stand in solidarity. I meant to do this sooner, but I've been busy, you know, adult stuff. So uh, a month or so ago, a, a woman, I think she called herself a pissed off mom, was ranting about her kindergartner doing virtual slash Zoom for school. And I'm here to tell you, she was absolutely right. My youngest son is in kindergarten this past year. And to say it was a shit show would be kind. He was on the laptop from 9.15 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. Every day. That's insane. (laughs) A kindergartner on a laptop, even I who have to work on this computer, I I can't, I don't know how he could possibly last that long. I have to do that every day. Uh, I have to be on my my, uh, computer every day. Uh, And I don't, how can a a kindergartner... uh, I'm sorry, I've interrupted your flow. I knew this was going to be a disaster when on the first day of virtual school, and I was trying to show him what he needs to do as far as what the teacher was saying, and he looked at me as if I was speaking another language. I'd forgotten that he doesn't know how to read or write. It was then that I knew both he and I were fucked. Now, I am usually a very patient parent, but I work every day from 6 p.m. to 6.30 a.m., four to five days a week. So a lot of times I'd been up since the day before. So my patience is worn thin and it's hard to teach anything with one bloodshot eye. It got a little better when they were able to go to school in person. But hell, even that was hit and miss. And now it's the end of the school year and my little man has to go to summer school. Summer fucking school. This is in no way, shape or form casting any aspersions on the school or the teacher because they did the best they could in a shitty situation. But there had to be a better way. I'm not sure what the better way was, but anything is better than what we just experienced. Hopefully, we won't have to worry about this again. You know, summer school would be, well, he, you know, it was normally, well, they, you didn't do well during the school year, so you went to summer school to make up for it. I can't imagine that he's 
being sent off to summer school because he didn't do well in kindergarten. Who's going to do well in kindergarten on a, on a laptop for fuck's sake? Come on. Maybe summer school was to, you know, continue to socialize, hopefully. And hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, your, your state's health regulations, uh, that, uh, that they've got their shit together and they're not listening to their uh, congressional leadership and looking to them, uh, or their representative leadership, I would put, and looking to them for fucking, uh, you know, health management. Those are not the people you turn to. I'm a fucking leaveable. Thank you, Jeremy Jackson. Hope your kid's doing well. Hope you are. And that's a hell of a shift. I did a night shift. That's even longer than a night shift. I'm, I'm going to stop. I, I don't need to remind you of what that kind of shift is. <laughs> but for those of you who've never done it, fuck. Whew. Not easy. Not easy. And then to come home and he's already explained it. Shut up, Lewis. Thanks, Jeremy. Anita Klatkowitz is pissed, and with good reason. Okay, Boomer, you assholes who use this so dismissively can kiss my fat ass. We Boomers are retiring now, so you get the hell to work. We noticed, however, that you are not picking up the slack, so instead of retiring, we Boomers are retiring from our paying jobs, and now... We are volunteering. That means work without pay to make this country and the world a better place for you Gen X, Gen Z, millennials, and other big mouth lazy asses who think you know it all. Shut the fuck up and listen. We did our jobs for 50 plus years and now would like to retire in peace in our own way. Yes, we are collecting our social security that we paid for, and at the same time, going back out in the world to work this time without pay. We don't care. We know we have to contribute in some way. Retired teachers go to volunteer to tutor kids or volunteer at the library, the hospital. Okay, so for a while, we couldn't. We had to stay home, wear masks, and drive each other crazy. We bore your insults that you did not want to wear a mask to save our sorry asses from COVID. Fuck you, selfish pissants. We are vaccinated now, and we are back. I called my friend, Faye, to see if she wanted to hang out, and you know what? She couldn't. She was going to one of her two, two, Two volunteer gigs at the local thrift shops where she volunteers a whole day classifying, labeling, and pricing stuff to put on the shelves to raise money for local charities. The Salvation Army, the St. Vincent de Paul Society, you name it. And when she's not doing this, she volunteers with master gardeners and dropping people off at medical appointments. Okay, Boomer? Hmm? She's not alone. My friend Judy with MS does the same kind of volunteering. So do Paul, Peter, Marie, Olivia, Grace, Thomas, and many others. Very likely, they're helping sell the stuff you bastards tossed out because you don't want to keep your recently departed grandma's treasures. Fine. But stop insulting us. We are no longer in our prime. We understand this more 
than you right now. But don't worry. Your time will come, and I hope you buck the fuck up and step up like we are. I don't want to hear OK Boomer again. Got that? Piss ants. Thanks for getting that out there, Anita. I don't think all Gen X, Gen Z, and millennials throw that out. I actually stumbled on it. I had never really kind of heard it. And then, of course, once I heard it, I heard it all the time. And I thought, fuck you. That was my reaction. Fuck you and the horse you rode in on. (laughs) I mean, God damn it. But there are certainly uh, a a number of them out there who uh, throw that around. And uh, in your response, especially in terms of what you're doing, that volunteering is terrific. And how many of your friends are doing it? I'm still working, so I can avoid volunteering. <laughs> but thank you, Anita. Thanks for, thanks for all you're doing. Thanks for that rant. We have here an epic rant by Paul Holbrook. Um, it fell through the cracks. And um, I probably should have read this a, a while ago when it first came in, but um, I lost it somehow I, um, in the inundation of, of, of things in my COVIDity of a brain. But since we move so slowly, it still applies. Uh, and I think deserves a read. I fear I have become a misanthrope. For those not familiar with the term, a misanthrope is defined as someone who holds a general hatred, dislike, distrust, or contempt of the human species, human behavior, or human nature. That's according to Wikipedia, an encyclopedia made up of random people with no demonstrated expertise, just a desire to define things for other people as they see fit. Please, don't get me started. I'll get to human behavior and human nature shortly, but just to contemplate the species physically for a moment. Humans are disgusting. Look at ears, for example. The grotesque, cauliflower-like, cartilaginous abomination that surrounds the ear hole is totally bizarre. And if gazed upon for the first time by an alien race, would cause them to vomit and flee back to their home planet immediately. We go about our business every day among the countless disfigured individuals we encounter without a second thought, simply because we have become used to this evolutionary mutation. Look at dogs. Like many other animals, they have the courtesy to have either floppy ears or they have erect ears. They usually have enough hair to cover up the ear holes so we don't get a glimpse of that icky, nauseating, coagulated, earwaxy tissue inside. Humans have their cartilaginous abortions on the outside prominently displayed for the entire world to see. Hang an earring on it? All that does is draw attention to the disfigurement. You could argue that humans make up for the ear problem by having beautiful eyes. And you would be right, up until it is pointed out that eyes are just slimy grapes filled with jelly. So that just doesn't help. The only thing that ears do that is beneficial is supplying an anchor point to hang corrective lenses in front of our out-of-focus jelly sacks. On and on the list goes when examining the human body. Do you know why dentists have a high suicide rate? I do. 
It involves the nose. Opening day at Texas Rangers game was attended by 40,000 people crammed together. 500 people died that day, and 56,000 were still being infected across the country. Humans are incapable of evaluating risk, absolutely not in their cognitive wheelhouse. It's one of their worst traits amongst many, many, many. The government paused vaccinations with the J&J vaccine because six people in just under 7 million got blood clots. They were an unusual type of clot that were very probably caused by the vaccine. And that's a 0.85 chance per 1 million of having a clotting problem with that vaccine. The average risk for getting hit by lightning in a given year is 1 in 1,222,000 or 0.82 per million. You've got a better chance of getting hit by lightning. People go years without the thought of lightning entering their head, but hyped up comments on Facebook regarding vaccine side effects that they have no idea on how to evaluate has them shouting no like a two-year-old. As I write this, there's been 31.5 million cases of COVID reported in the U.S. and 565,000 deaths, now upwards of six, no, 600,000 more probably than that. I haven't looked in the last few days, and that is just reported cases and deaths. There are approximately 330 million men, women, and children who call the U.S. home. 9% of the people in this country have gotten COVID, and 1.8% of those have died. You have an overall chance of 1,712 per million dying from COVID versus 0.85 per million chance of having a clotting problem from a vaccine. 1,712 versus 0.85. That's 2,014 times a better chance of dying, not getting vaccinated, versus blood clots. And that's just dying. You can have a lot of terrible long-term problems from COVID other than dying. Do the math, you blithering chumbalonies! That goes for the pussies in the government for pausing the vaccine and scaring all the common chumbalones or, or chumbalones. I think chumbaloni sounds better. Stop whining and take your medicine. Taking birth control pills or any of the drugs being hawked on evening TV have a tremendously higher rate of potential problems, like anal leakage. Think about protecting others in your sordid species if not yourself. It's this same cognitive dysfunction that results in mom and dad living on a third of what it takes for a comfortable lifestyle in their old age. Maybe they should have put a little away during the working years. What happened in your 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s to make you so oblivious? All of a sudden, it's a surprise in your 60s that Social Security isn't going to be a living? Hmm? Perhaps you could have done something along the way about where you're going to end up in your golden years. Maybe you could have gone on one less cruise or given up smoking and invested the savings in a mutual fund or taken a couple of hundred bucks a month from your paycheck for your future before you headed to the bar. No. 
Ignore the oncoming train of the future because you have an itch that constantly needs scratching. And then whine about the microwave cat food you're having for dinner as you sit hunched over in your worn out lazy boy staring at the cable news on the idiot box. There is a, even a fable about you dimwits you learned when you were young. It's called The Ant and the Grasshopper. Couldn't be put any simpler for simple-minded creatures. I hate people. And finally, there's a special place in hell for those who purchase jeans with holes already torn in them for more money than non-hole jeans. This is completely moronic. Buying damaged clothing that mimics clothing worn by a poor person who can't afford a replacement because it's hip to pretend to be unfortunate is mockery. A person that thinks that holy jeans is fashion is an asshole and deserves heaps of richly deserved derision. I hate you. I hate people. But I might like you individually if I met you. Not guaranteed, but there is a mm, very small chance. I still think I qualify as a misanthrope. Paul Holbrook, Marengo, Illinois. Yes, you do. You certainly qualify as a misanthrope and uh, certainly um, enlightened us on a few topics here today, and I appreciate it. Um, I did not laugh uh, at the... Uh, God, cartilaginous abortions is what it was. And I was not laughing at that word. I was just stunned that that word came up (laughs) with cartilaginous, which I probably mispronounced. That was uh, truly epic. I'm sure with the, the roads that we've been going down and the rabbit holes we're falling into now as we move to normal. Uh, I'm sure that your your misanthrope has has moved to even a higher power. Good luck with all that, <laughs> and, uh, and remember to smile at certain times. Okay, just just to comfort the people around you, you know, just for a minute. Okay, don't. I'm sorry. Sorry, I even brought it up. <laughs> Have a good day. <laughs> Christopher LeBlanc shares a new take on an old rant. Taxes. Why do we still do taxes? Now, let me be clear. I'm not complaining about paying taxes. In fact, I'm quite progressive, and I'd support the government over evil corporations any time, any day. I'm complaining about doing taxes. Why is this mathematical exercise still necessary? Why the fuck? Do I have to do all the math and research myself? It can't possibly be a lack of computing power. Heck, my dinky little cell phone can communicate with satellites in outer fucking space. You know, they already have our financial data. Several years ago, a coworker of mine threatened the president on social media. Presumably, some NSA data center picked up the post, and a week later, the Secret Service showed up at my co-worker's house. Surely they already know more than the, about my earnings 
in spending habits than I do. Think about it. Somehow, they magically know our financials when we make a mistake on our taxes. So why can't they do the math in the first place? Come on, it's 2021. You put a man on the moon and survive Donald Trump. Come on, comparatively, this should be easy. It is incredible and unacceptable that we still have so much paperwork associated with doing taxes every year. I mean, it's incredible that we still have to do it on it. They could do it absolutely like this. That's how fast. With digital fingers, okay? Downloaded digital fingers. Thank you, Christopher. A lot of my favorite rants come from teachers, as you know. This one comes from Jim, the teacher. Over the last 11, 12, however long the fuck it's been, I've heard time and again that teachers are the best, that teachers are the most caring, selfless people in the world, and we need to respect the teachers. Well, yes, teachers are gaining a lot more respect, not to mention that our first lady is a former teacher and holds a doctorate in education. My position has been continuously mocked and ridiculed. You see, I'm a recent college graduate, and I just got my first actual teaching job last July. My interview went great. Got to meet several of the staff members, and obviously they liked me enough to give me some money. The problem was, all the interviewers kept eating away at me with a single phrase. I am not a goddamn gym teacher. I did not just spend $50,000 and four and a half years of my life to be reduced to a shirt with a whistle. Fuck that bullshit. My degree is in kinesiology and health. I could have been a nurse or a physical therapist, but I wanted to continue working with kids and potentially straightening a crooked path. I'm a fucking PE teacher. Jim is not a subject. Jim is a place. I teach you about nouns and language arts, but I don't teach English. I teach physical education. I know when people usually think of a PE teacher, they imagine some meathead fuck who is too stupid to do anything else in life. Not at all. Not only do I teach kids how to employ different movements in game settings, I also have to teach healthy habits. Act as a confidant for middle schools who are struggling with body dysmorphia and complete the standards and practices for a new teacher in Iowa during the third fucking spike of a pandemic. I swear to Christ, Allah, L. Ron Hubbard, Gandalf the Grey, anyone who will listen, if one more parent schmuck walks into my gym and asks, why aren't you playing dodgeball? I'm going to draw and quarter them with my plastic scooters. Also, if I get one more goddamn email from a parent asking why their kid is failing PA, I'm going to bury them under home plate of my kid ball field. Your kid spends copious amounts of time every evening sitting on his ass playing Roblox, Call of Duty, or whatever fucking game you bought them and eating loony amounts of shitty food because you failed to put on your pants and be a parent. And then you have the fucking nerve to ask me why your kid can't run for three minutes without needing a break. Whew, I almost lost my cool there. 
Maybe I'll just grab a foam ball and throw it at the wall as hard as possible. At least then, the kids will quit asking, why don't we ever play dodgeball? Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jim, the teacher. Thanks for teaching. It's really important now more than ever. A rant about Facebook from Aviv Avivi. I want to take a break from politics, the pandemic, and the broken infrastructure. My right eye starts twitching every time I think about these. Instead, let's tackle the real problems in our society. Nipples. Specifically, female nipples. The other day, I posted an image by famed classical artist Gustav Corbett on my Facebook wall. Within seconds, I was informed that my post violated the Facebook community standards. Now this, uh, by the way, was my second offense. My first was suggesting that I wouldn't mind seeing the orange shit stain you refer to as dear leader and, and see him drawn and quartered. But I, I, I digress. Well, you're not going to get away with that on, on Facebook. But with the second offense, I was sent straight to the dreaded Facebook jail, 24 hours not able to post or comment. What was the offense? What was the image? It was Corbett's Le Origin, Le Origin du Monde. Butchered that. Or The Origin of the World. It is a painting of a close-up view of the genitals and abdomen of a naked woman lying on a bed with legs spread. I was informed that the Facebook community could not tolerate images of genitalia and <gasps> female nipples. Are you fucking kidding me? Upon my release from Facebook jail, I decided to test what the gentle Facebook community can tolerate. Using my Photoshop skills, I defaced Corbett's masterpiece and turned his beautiful model to Barbie, erased her bushy genitalia and removed her partly visible nipple. Did that image draw the ire of the Facebook police? Nope. My next test was more extreme. I found a picture of a man's hairy nipple. Surely this will send me back to the slammer for three days. But no, not a peep from the fuckers. My LGBT friends did get excited and asked if it was a selfie. I also posted a picture of a hellish bathtub surrounded by one golden and four naked male statues with water pouring out of their oversized genitals. Somehow, that did not cause as much as a whimper from the delicate snowflakes at Facebook. I don't know about you, Lou. I would much rather stare at female nipples just rolling across my newsfeed over hairy men nipples or gigantic phallic faucets. I certainly would. I don't think any of our news feeds needs to have any of them, but to send you to Facebook jail over a, a Corbett's the, the origin of the, of the world is really psychotic, not over pieces of art. Madness. Madness reigns. It's why I don't spend much time on Facebook. I don't really look at Facebook a lot, and now I know why. They don't allow you to put paintings on Facebook of, of, of naked women. And that would be fine, and naked men would be fine. But maybe, I wonder if you put, well, I guess you had the statue, and that didn't bother him. Oh, uh, well, I'm glad you sent that in, Abby. And I hope I pronounced your name correctly. 
certainly didn't get the origin du monde correct uh, someday. Thanks to all of you for listening to my Rantcast. If you have a rant you want to get off your chest, send it in to me at lewisblack.com forward slash live. You can think of it as therapy or whatever you want to think of it as. Just let it rip. And I want to thank the true stars of our show, the ranters and the splendid rants they gave us. Lewis Black's Rantcast was created and hosted by me, <laughs> Lewis Black. It is produced by James Salkine. Our theme song by Chris Lane. Executive producer, Ben Brewer. Executive producers, Matt Kleinschmidt and Robert Kelly for the Laugh Button Podcast. And most of all, thank you, all of you who ranted so well on this show.